Hey everyone, this is Charlie Shrem, and you're listening to Untold Stories. This is a show where we dive deep into the lives and personal histories of some of crypto's most influential leaders and find out how the crypto movement truly came to be. Let's dive in. Today, we're talking to Jason Goldberg, who's the founder and CEO of OST and the founder and CEO of one of the first amazing companies to be built and an untold story sponsor on top of OST, Pepo. You can check him out at Get Pepo app. What's cool about OST was that OST was built as a technology to allow companies and people to build on top of and inside of Ethereum and hopefully soon other blockchains. And why it was important was that the user experience and user interface is good on a lot of different projects and and, and tokens and apps, but the privacy, security, decentralization simply wasn't there. And what OST built was the simple ability for projects and apps to integrate blockchain and tokens into their apps, but at the same time, not sacrifice the user experience and privacy, security, and decentralization. It was a harder job for them to do, but Jason and I talked about this. We talked about how they just turned the like button into a token transfer and very, very cool things like how user experience is further strengthened using meta transactions, which can be programmed to remove the need for users to pay for gas each time they move tokens using basically using the technology like multi-sig on top of that to build actual good programs and apps. We talked about what is Bitcoin's killer app, but what are also blockchain's killer app? We talked about as projects continue to grow, will maximalism and tribalism get worse? This is a wonderful episode. I think out of all the episodes, this one is going to make your mind think it's going to open up your brain to new concepts and ideas. And that's really what my goal is here. So enjoy the episode, give some love to the sponsors, and I'll talk to you guys right in a minute. Over the years, a lot of companies have tried doing crypto social networking. But the problem is that there are a lot of really good social networking apps already out there like Instagram, Facebook, Snapchat. How do we build a social network that's perfect for crypto? Well, I want to talk about Pepo. Pepo is an amazing social media app that's built for the crypto community. What's really cool about it is that you can get rewarded for uploading and putting out good content, and you can also reward with crypto people who put up content that you really, really like. It's fast and simple, and it's the first crypto-powered app to be approved by the Apple and Google app stores. You can find me on Pepo right now at Charlie Shrem, the same handle as my Twitter, and I'm gonna be posting interviews, travel videos, and more. So make sure you check out Pepo. It's super cool. Pepo.com. Enjoy it. You're a super loyal podcast listener and you've been listening to my show for a while. So you know that Bitpanda, which is a company based out of Austria, has been working with me for a few months now. And I'm a huge fan of Vienna and I'm a huge fan of Bitpanda. Let me tell you a little bit about them. Bitpanda is the leading European platform for investing in digital assets. Their core product is an easy to use crypto on-ramp and digital asset broker. They have over a million users, so you know they really care about their customers. What's amazing about Bitpanda is really how easy it is to set up an account and get going. They recently launched their own educational platform, and this is super cool, so check it out. Take a listen for a second, where you can learn all about Bitcoin and more. It's free, regularly updated, and you can earn five euro for free when you complete the quiz. So make sure you check it out. 
bitpanda.com. They are a big sponsor of ours and please give them some love because they love me. Untold Stories wouldn't be here without the amazing production company, Blockworks Group. A few months ago, I approached Blockworks Group and I said, hey guys, I want to do a show, Untold Stories. Can we make it happen? And these guys are the only event and podcast production company that I trust. Really, the show is powered by them and it wouldn't be here today without the amazing work of the Blockworks Group team. So for access to all the premier digital asset conferences and to check out their other podcasts in their network that they produce, check them out at blockworksgroup.io. That's blockworksgroup.io. I promise you will not be disappointed. My guest today has written a lot about the inflection point between when technology, privacy, and security can match up with like user experience and adoption. For example, he's written how YouTube would have been impossible in 1997 because broadband didn't exist. Social media could not have taken off in the year 2000 because there simply weren't enough people online to create robust connections. And really, the smartphone was not yet involved. Jason Goldberg, you're the founder and CEO of OST and Pepo. Pepo.com, your sponsor at Untold Stories. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. I really, really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me, Charlie. And it's really great to be working with you. You talk about how in the past decade, the you know products and, and services were built by crypto people, really for crypto people, for the, for the crypto native. Are we now ready and starting to build products and services for the non-crypto native? Like, is our industry... And, and, you know, you talk about you, you were involved in AOL in, in, in the late 90s and you founded a series of Web2 uh, Web companies. Are we are we at the point yet? Are we at that inflection pay, uh, point in here in 2020 now that we can start building up apps, products and services on top of blockchains for the masses that don't necessarily care or want to use a blockchain? Yeah, you know, I think 2020 is the year that we start to see some of the first uh, actual mainstream use cases. And by mainstream use cases, I'm not talking about you know, people trading cryptocurrency. I'm saying you know, crypto and blockchain being used uh, as utilities within applications or as a means to make actions cheaper, faster, uh, more decentralized, uh, more trusted. Um, the way I look at it is if you look at technology over the last you know, 20, 30 years, that certain things need to line up in order for mass adoption to take place. Uh, and typically, they go kind of in this order. So first, you need to have... Uh, developer tools that are available. Uh, so let's say the infrastructure, the plumbing, and the tool in the top of it for developers in order to make good applications and be able to offer them to their users. The second thing you need is you need really kind of good, solid UX, good, solid user experiences on top of the, uh, that technology so that end users, as you were saying, don't even need to know what the technology is that, that, that they're interacting with. All they know is they're just trying to get something done and they use the technology for it. You know, Mark Cuban, for instance, had the idea of broadcast.com back in the, you know, the 1990s. And it just wouldn't work. Yeah. And, you know, other video starts wouldn't work because you just didn't have the, you know, you didn't have the infrastructure ready yet. You didn't have the, the, the user experience ready. And frankly, the market wasn't ready yet. I mean, you just didn't have enough people online, enough people to be able to who were even interested in consuming video content online, let alone you know, making it. It's like a snowball going down a mountain, right? Like it, at some, like if the if it, if the incline is not steep enough, if it's not, if there aren't all the factors in place, the snowball that you start won't, you know, go down. But at the same time, you can't start it too early, but you also can't start it too late. You have to time that, 
you perfectly. Um, where the market is like started to push forward and then you're kind of trailing that. Um, but you're not too early or too late. Um, how did you time this? And I want to take a step back and and understand what OST is, what that blockchain is about, and then how Pepo was the first one to, to build on top of that. Um, I want to get into that and, and understand the differences and, um, you know, how did you time that right? Like, how did you decide this was the perfect time? I mean, I really think it's, you know, you, you, there's no, you, there's no cutting corners. There's no cheating. You actually really have to have these things line up. And so for us, you know, for instance, we looked out at crypto, you know, four years ago and, you know, all sorts of people, you know, whether it came into crypto, you know, or bought Bitcoin say eight years ago or five years ago or two years ago, they all look at this kind of this technology and the elegance of the solution that it kind of, uh, kind of could have, right? And they all, in their own mind, they form this kind of perception of like what it would be used for. And for myself, it was, I saw this as like, wow, this could really enable kind of the holy grail of microtransactions to be unleashed. And I looked at, at this and said, you know, right now, you know, with you know, credit card processing, it's impossible to take payments uh, online of, you know, less than, you know, a dollar because the economic structure involved with the credit card companies. I mean, Stripe, for instance, charges, you know, 30 cents plus 2.8% on every transaction. Apple takes 30% cut on transactions. And you look at some, I looked at something like crypto and blockchain and said, wow, this could really upend all of that. And you can go from, you know, it would unleash whole new billion dollar markets and unleash whole new types of business models and user models. That was my perspective on crypto when I looked at it, you know, four years ago. And again, everyone had their own kind of thing that they saw in, in crypto. That was the thing that I saw. Well, what's changed then and now? Well, we, well, we saw that what would have to happen in order to make that possible was one is we'd have to make uh, developer tools so easy that you know that people who you know developers don't even know the, the the first thing about blockchain could integrate you know whether it's wallets or the technology into their apps um, as easy as they say let's say integrating Stripe into a website which is a couple lines of code and you can integrate you know blockchain into your app it's like the Stripe is a couple lines of code you integrate payments into your website um, and so we really saw that you have to have you have to create that and that's that's actually one of the biggest things that we worked on over the last you know four years is these developer tools. That OSD technology uh, provides, which is really it's, it's an SDK, software developer kit that enables developers to integrate an Ethereum layer two wallet into any application. I know that's a lot of technical jargon, um, but what it really means is you can take you know basically tokens that are put on Ethereum layer two, so you get all the power of Ethereum and the smart contract kind of structure of Ethereum. And you run them on layer two, which is basically, let's say, an application layer. So you have super fast transactions at low cost. Um, and then the technology we developed enables you to integrate that into any application. Uh, and so that's basically, you can insert that into any you know, iOS or Android app without uh, the end user having to know that's crypto. And then the second part of it is going to come with a couple zones. The last part, which is really kind of honing in on the user experience. I mean, that was our team uh, over the last four years. We basically, we looked at the solution rather than looking at just the, we looked at basically, I'm sorry, we looked at like what, what would the solution need to be in order to solve this problem rather than just kind of saying, let's just build cool technology for the sake of cool technology. And so, you know, we, we give ourselves like this kind of, this big kind of aha of like, if we were to, if our technology had to be so robust that let's say Instagram could run on it and end users of Instagram wouldn't even know that they're dealing with crypto, what would we need to provide? Um, and that led us to, you know, innovate on 
you know, wallets that you know, that users can use without having to write down twelve words, not have to know long strings. They don't need to use. It know, just goes. Know. It just yeah. goes to show you. Sorry to interrupt you, but it just goes to show you how how quickly we're moving in technology. And and you actually, that's what I love about doing this show is that I come up with ideas uh, from my guests. So you just gave me a good idea, my friend. Uh, started a company, uh, Sugar.io, years ago, three, four years yeah. ago, and they wanted to build what they were doing on on top of a blockchain. But the tech, they felt the technology just wasn't there yet to be able to build a super robust user experience where people don't know that they're actually using a token on the blockchain. And in fact, there are so many uses for for having it on the blockchain that they simply even right now, can't do. Anyways, fast forward a few years, they've launched not on a blockchain. There is an internal token, but it's it's grown. They have hundreds of thousands of users. It's a fan artist, you know, whole marketplace and everything. You earn points. You can you trade them for Apple gift cards and things like that. Very similar to Pepo in, in that it's not a social network, but basically how Pepo, you built a whole product and a company on top of a blockchain where people don't know that they're actually using a blockchain. So, I mean, besides for Pepo, I really can't think of any other product right now that's as beautiful in the app store that I could download that that does that, that I could basically show my mother and say, here, this is a social network, play around with it, and they'll become familiar with tokens, with the concept of earning tokens, earning, you know, using, spending but but the word blockchain is is nowhere to be found and and done on purpose it's actually very very brilliant um so having said that can you explain what is pepo and why did you decide to launch that yeah i mean charlie it's, it's, i really appreciate you know you're saying that and i mean that that really is what we're we're going for is trying to create something where you know, the end user doesn't even need, you know need to know what the technology is underlying. But you call it, you know, the mom test, right? You can show it to your mom, and she just uses it. She doesn't need to know what what you know, what, what powers it. Yeah, um, I'm going to introduce you to my friend's company after we finish this. Uh-huh. I think that'll be great for them to build on top of OST. Well, it's really interesting because, like, you know, four years ago we had this idea of building this decentralized marketplace for influencers. We kind of looked and said, well, why should influencers, creators, content creators? have to go through the major networks and platforms in order to monetize. Why can't they in this world where, you know, increasingly everyone's a creator, everyone's creating content every single day. Uh, why can't they just, you know, monetize directly to their fans, their followers, uh, sponsors, advertisers, and keep everything that they, you know, that they receive to so make it direct person to person. And the problem was the technology wasn't ready yet, kind of like what your friends at Sugar noticed. And so we said, all right, well, rather than waiting for it to be ready, let's go build it. Uh, and so that's, you know, so we built this underlying technology. Now, Pepo is basically coming back to that idea. Uh, and, you know, basically the middle of last year, the middle of 2019, we saw that our technology that we'd worked on for you know, nearly four years to really build this developer toolkit and build this. That's UI a long toolkit. time. Congratulations. It's a long time. And like, yeah, like we had to like, we were heads down and just grinding, building this stuff. Right. And we saw that you know, in the middle of last year that our technology was ready that it was ready to be used by the market and we could start to have, whether it's a social network, an e-commerce website, a, an offline, online store, a, a publisher, let's say if you want to allow people to unlock an article at a time rather than charging people for subscriptions. You know, all this stuff could be possible with our technology. And we said, rather than waiting for, you know, for use cases to launch on their own, let's show the world a great use case. And the, what, I, literally, what I told our team at the time was, when Apple you know, launched the App Store, 
all the best apps were made by Apple because Apple needed to show the world what was possible with the App Store. Um, and that's what our approach to Pepo was, was we said, let's build an awesome app on the OST technology that has a real purpose, a real use case, and that demonstrates that this technology is real and it's ready to be used right now. So Pepo is basically it's short form videos, 30 second videos, um, updates from people on what they're working on. It's a conversation. You can reply to videos with integrated tokens of appreciation. So the like button on, on Pepo transfers a token, transfers about one cent, the value of the token, from one person to the other. And so all of a sudden, social networking and content creation is more than just about collecting likes or collecting clout. It's about collecting cash. Yeah. And that changes the dynamic in, in a very interesting way. It allows, us, allows creators to, to earn from the content they create. It allows kind of value to be used to hone and kind of refine the experience, whether it's a personalization or curation. Um, and we're introducing all sorts of interesting ways in Pepo to use real value, whether it's to reduce spam, whether it's to show people uh, kind of authenticity, um, and showing basically that, that tokens with value and have a whole new dynamic when it comes to social networking and opening up new business models. So it's a it's a spectrum, right? And you have amazing, you know, uh, um, you have amazing UX, amazing UI. You know, the experience is wonderful. Um, you had written somewhere. It's like, you know, imagine asking Instagram users to make sure they have enough ETH in their Insta wallets to pay gas for each <laughs> transaction. Totally get it. I've used Pepo. Uh, I continue to use it. And you don't have to worry about these things. But going back to the spectrum, if I had to take like the top five or 10 um, things that I really, really push and harbor on and, and constants on this show, one of them is this lever system that I, that I talk about in that as user experience and user interface and um, convenience and growth and adoption continues to grow on Pepo, how do you maintain the privacy and security? Because hear me out for a second. If it's, it's really wonderful to build these apps on top of blockchains, but if we're not utilizing what we're here for, if we're not utilizing the censorship resistant properties, if we're not utilizing, um, so, you know, all these other properties and why are we here? What's the purpose? Uh, really yeah. yeah, it's really great. And so, you know, it's interesting when we first launched Pepo, we really just wanted to get the product in the hands of people so we could learn from them. Uh, and so we launched at uh, at ETH DevCon last year. DevCon five. DevCon I think five, I'm going to go this five. year. I'm not sure yet in Denver. Okay. And and we it was really awesome. And we had about a third of all DevCon participants, you know, use the app. They gave us lots of feedback. The usage continued to grow. There's over a hundred thousand transactions on the app in the last couple months. And a few things that we've been doing while we're listening and kind of learning from the users. The first thing we really found out is that you know while we built a kind of short form video app. It's not TikTok. And we found it's like TikTok and say the new Byte app from the Vine creators are very entertainment focused and the consumption of them is all around kind of, you know, kind of short, kind of like almost like, you know, like fun entertainment, you know, videos. With Peppa, we found that our audience is really professional, it's very business oriented. So that's caused us to think about, all right, so what is the app and what is it used for? And how do we enable people to connect in a business professional setting? So that's driving a lot of the features for the app. And so that's, uh, one of the things that we're really leaning into. Um, so that's, for instance, we find with, uh, with entertainment consumption, people, it's more serendipity. So like on TikTok, you just basically randomly see a video and you like it and you kind of watch it and you randomly see another one. 
in a business professional setting, it's more topical. It's more about like what channels you're interested in, what topics or what groups you're a member of. And so we're really going this direction of having people join groups and kind of become part of a conversation around certain topics, whether they're interested in DeFi or Bitcoin or Ethereum or whatever it might be. DAOs, you name it. I'm right? just curious. Is, do you guys yeah. get like customer service asking about crypto related stuff? Is it usability? Like give us some demographics, some insights into like your users, because you're like doing God's work now. You know that. What I mean yeah. by that is the guerrilla marketing, the guerrilla like on the ground, bringing people into the fold that used to be more done by like Bitcoin is now being done by these, by, by different projects, by altcoins, yeah. by different SDKs. I mean, what type of stuff are you getting? Give us some like yeah, I mean, look, we get untold. Tons of, yeah, I mean, it's great about having a you know a, a video app where people kind of you know create authentic videos in the app. Is we get tons of user feedback when people won't give us feedback because they the first thing they do is they make a video and say, "Here's what I wish I could do," and then we we talk to them and try to understand what they're trying to accomplish, not just what feature they're looking for. And then we do interviews with uh, with users about twenty to thirty every single week. Um, we focus more on like thirty minute conversations with people to really get it what they're trying to accomplish and kind of what their job that they're trying to get done in the app is more than kind of surveys. And we're getting awesome data on that. I wanted to go back to your censorship resistant question, because I think it's really important. The privacy kind of thing is really important. So on Pepo, a couple of things. So, and this kind of goes back to where I was going with the learnings. When we first launched Pepo, we launched it with the only login method was the Twitter. Um, and basically you log with Twitter and then you secure a self custody wallet. Um, so you're basically, you own your own funds, your own Pepo coins. Uh, and your private key is put on your device. It interacts with a multi-signature so that you can have access to your funds from multiple devices if you want. Um, but it's a, it was a combination of a Twitter login and your own kind of private key. All transactions happen person to person, directly in the blockchain. Our technology is just a relayer. So it means like we don't get in the middle of the transaction. Uh, we don't take a cut of the transaction. And it goes directly person to person. So that's entirely censorship resistant and also the user owns their private key so they always have access to their funds we don't have access to their funds at all if they want to recover their wallet we created a beautiful ux for that but, this, but the only way they can recover it is if they they call in the recovery from the smart contract themselves they have to initiate that themselves you've had to work harder to maintain this and to keep this you've had to work harder and and it's more work more developer hours honestly it's it's r d it's it's research and development yeah, some of these yeah. things you're, you're inventing, you're doing, isn't it just easier sometimes to just kind of make it like, like, a, like, like a bat, you know, like, I guess what I'm trying to say is, wouldn't it we be easy? Have it been a exactly. Yeah. That's what I'm oh, trying yeah. to say. Yeah. So oh, we why say, you, know, Jason, why, yeah. what is in your heart? Yeah. Why yeah. did you say, I want to do this? That's what I'm trying to get out here. Yeah. Who are you? We really believe that it's you know it's it's your it's your money it's your wallet that no one can ever get in the way of it that it's like the custodian wallet just doesn't make sense to me at all it is it's like it's antithesis it's like it's imagine your you know your your physical wallet that you keep your kind of your green dollars in imagine if you allowed someone else to hold that for you you never would right and you'd never say hey you know Mister so and so can you please hand me a dollar when I need to use it and otherwise hold me another ten dollars. No, you wouldn't. I mean, yeah, you put some money in a bank, right? But but you know, you don't let someone. You know, no one no one controls your wallet. That's a wonderful ethos, and 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 I'm and I'm happy that you have that. And frankly, like it, it makes my heart sing. And one of the reasons that I was happy that you guys came on as a sponsor because understand that it's so much easier to just say blockchain and to not do it. It's so easy, and you have so many companies that are 
building and saying that they do and but the security and the privacy are not there. So I almost say like, what's what's the point? How do we yeah. will the community care and and use the products like yours that where you follow this ethos, where you follow this like core morality over companies and projects that that aren't followed will the community or the industry or the market figure it out do you think over time and will continue to use and grow the ones like pepo and ost we we think so i mean i think a few things on this one is you know, the community of users that we have to start really get it and i always say like start with power users who get your product and then build out from there um and you know during let's say you know like during christmas time you know a few weeks ago when there was this hubbub online about YouTube uh, banning certain crypto kind of you know kind of video you know, videos, we had people flocking to Pepo as kind of uh, you know kind of a safe haven and a place for people to have kind of a sensor resistant kind of network. And so that message resonated with the early adopters, and and now we got to look at how we expand out from that. Another thing we've done uh, today, even we launched a new version of Pepo that allows you to log in with your Apple um, login, which is entirely private, so the user does not need to reveal an email address to us. We get How does nothing. that work? So basically, Apple created login with Apple as kind of a privacy uh, response to things like you know login with Facebook, which is anything but private. Uh, and uh, login with Apple is anyone on an iOS device can just basically tap login with Apple. We don't get any data about the user. The user can keep themselves entirely private. They're just logged into our app and they can create a wallet. So there you have kind of complete privacy of the user. All we know about them is whatever information they decide to add in a profile uh, in the app, and then everything else is just a you know, a, you know what their address is on the blockchain. Um, and we're going to keep pushing more and more in that direction. The other place the push comes from is it's from really customer centric uh, businesses, and you'd be surprised, but we have found that you know some of the kind of the first movers out there, the companies that are I call them giraffes, they're ready to stick their neck out and to show the world what you know, what the first use cases can be of crypto and blockchain and customer centricity. There's, you'd be surprised at some really large companies that get it and you know, that come to us and say, you know, we believe that in the long run, that the companies that are, that are do the best by their customers, that provide the most customer value, that push the value to the edge, that push more and more value to the customer and not to the company, will, be, will do better because customers will want to, you know, shop with them or do business with them more than competitors who are seen as kind of you know harvesting their data and you know not being good to them, and so we're working with some very interesting companies who you know they said the reason we want to move this to a blockchain and we want to offer this to our end users or end customers is because we want them to feel like they're owners of our brand, we want them to feel like they're owners of the experience and owners of the way they interact with us and with other users on our platform. So we have companies even like you know, let's say in the world of like reward points where you know, loyalty points where for, you know, for years and years, you've had airlines and others that like gouge their customers. You know, they change the rules, they oh, devalue. Or I'm a point points. geek. Like I, I yeah. study <laughs> I, and I'm constantly getting devalued and I, I'm very yeah. loyal to airlines and brands and stuff. So I get it. Yeah. So we're working with, you know, working with a company that's, uh, you know, they have, you know, 10 million monthly users of their kind of uh, their service every single month. They want to move an entirely new kind of loyalty 2.0 program over to a blockchain where user earns earns value. That value cannot be changed and that can be devalued. It cannot be um, expired. It's in their wallet. It's the same principle we have in Pepo. 
And you can send it to anyone you want to because it's your points. You decide what you want to do with it. And they believe by doing so that they're going to get a huge advantage on the competition who are going to be the slower to adopt it. There's a huge, there's actually someone who has a business where he buys airline miles for crypto and he, and he provides a really good value. Like I, I like, if I can get two cents out of every point or mile I have, like that's a good redemption, but, um, and he only offers like one cent, so I, I wouldn't recommend it, but, um, it's not, it's not a lot of hard work to do the deal, to do the due diligence and figure and figure that out. Um, so I want to I want to switch topics for one second. I'm going to I'm going to come back to what we're talking about. But, you know, as as you're talking, I'm writing down thoughts because I don't want to interrupt as I've gotten that feedback from a lot of my guests. They're like, let from the from my listeners, they're like, let the guests talk. You know, so I write down I have this Sony paper thing here. But my so my question that I wrote down as you were talking and I agree with you. I think that humankind and in, in, in our crypto community is has woken up and we're demanding amazing. You know, I, I talked to BitPay last week and they're building out amazing user interface services and products, but at the same time, on the same ethos as you, privacy and security, decentralization, super, super important. They're not willing to give that up. But you know, there's a huge uh, not huge. There's a, a a strong vocal minority on crypto Twitter and other places that follows like maximalism. And one of their arguments and points is that only Bitcoin is fully decentralized and blah, blah, blah. And, and you know, whether I agree or disagree, right, because I'm not I don't like labels, but I am a Bitcoin permable. And I think that Bitcoin is the only blockchain right now that is, you know, on that path to decentralization. But that's another topic for another time. So my question is, as projects like Pepo grows and more users are using it, do you think maximalism and tribalism will get worse? Because now you have these people that are more disenfranchised because, frankly, everything that they've been preaching and saying is being proven to be wrong. <laughs> I know you're you know, laughing and I have a lot of maximalists yeah. listen to this show. My whole point is to open up people's minds and to yeah, let them yeah. think and to have the conversations. I mean, look, he, he, here's, I'll give you a couple of thoughts on this. One is, I believe, I'm a very firm believer that there's only two layer ones that matter right now. And that's Bitcoin and Ethereum. Um, and when I say layer one is like, you know, kind of like original blockchains, like blockchains. Uh, you know, and um, I think everything else is like, you know, people say, you know, if you're top five or top 10, I think there's two and then everything else is like number 100 or number 1,000 in comparison. Actually, more like 1,000 in comparison or 10,000 in comparison. And I know that a lot of, you know, VCs have kind of backed kind of who will be the next Ethereum or the next Bitcoin because they just see like, you know, the percentage run-up that the, you know, those, um, those cryptocurrencies had over the last few years and they, they're salivating and maybe finding the next one. I don't think there's going to be a next one. I think that these are, you know, basically these are the two that, that matter, at least for the next, you know, three to five years. Maybe I'll be surprised by it. And the reason why I include Ethereum in that is, look, I think, you know, Ethereum is, it has the best smart contract uh, infrastructure, the best technology for developers to build on. If you want to build something. And you would on, know. What's that? And you would know. Yeah. I mean, we, we, you know, when we <laughs> set out to build, you know, the OSC technology, it was the only technology we could build on, the only place you could build this on, the only place you could build the wallet experience that we built to enable people to be able to have a self-custody wallet without having to write down words, without having, it was the only way to do this was on Ethereum and to do it on Ethereum by, by creating a layer two solution on top of Ethereum. Um, and so we chose Ethereum for two reasons. One is the smart contract capabilities. It's like, it's, like a, it's like a developer language that allows you to actually write 
solid infrastructure and solid applications on, on the Ethereum blockchain. And the second is the far and away, because of number one, you have the most developers who are building on Ethereum. And I always say, go where the developers are, because if there's, you know, there's, you, you, we can leverage that all the developers are currently working on Ethereum. I, I go to, you know, hackathons all around the world, ETH Denver in a couple of weeks, 2,000 plus hackers, ETH Waterloo last year, DevCon last year, Dev India last year, you know, thousands of hackers around the world um, who are building on Ethereum all make it better together. And right? it just keeps, you know, keeps getting richer and richer with the capabilities. So I would say that, like, you know, that there's only two horses to play here on, on layer one is, is you know, Bitcoin and Ethereum. I haven't seen much develop in terms of applications on Lightning, which is technically like a layer two on, on Bitcoin. And I think it's because that Ethereum is just a where more developers are building. And so, you know, there's, there's, there's safety in numbers and critical mass and benefits in numbers. I think it's now, also... No, uh, sorry, you continue. I'll write down my thought. Now, in terms of maximalists, I would say, look, there's a weird thing in this space in that you have, you know, two developer, let's say two currencies that, that are publicly traded that people, too many people see as a zero-sum game. I think the whole ETH is money thing is like, I'm going to be a blasphemous in my own kind of, you know, kind of society, but... I'm not an ETH is money kind of guy. I'm a ETH is like developer language kind of guy. And you can create kind of the internet of money with things like Ethereum. Um, but I think let Bitcoin be money. I think Ethereum is let, let Ethereum be the internet of money where you create programmable money. Um, it's a very different thing. And uh, create, you know, thousands of applications using Ethereum. I think because you have this kind of dynamic of two currencies where people think that it's a zero-sum game. If one goes up, the other must go down, or there can only be one winner or one global standard. It creates this weird dynamic of people kind of pissing back and forth at each other. And I think like everyone should just like relax. And I want to talk about Bitpanda for a second. I mentioned at the beginning of the show that we're working with them, and we have been for a few months now. They love me, and I love them. So I'm asking that you give them some love and some support, especially if you're listening from Europe. Bitpanda is the leading European platform for investing in digital assets. It doesn't hurt. Actually, it helps that they're based out of Austria, which is one of my favorite countries in the world. And Vienna is one of my favorite cities in the world to visit. I try to go as frequently as I can. And, you know, meeting up with the Bitpanda team is always a pleasure. I really like Bitpanda's approach. Why? Well, basically, what they're doing is to apply the same tech that we're used to from Bitcoin and apply it to other digitized assets. And, and I'll explain why. And, and if you check out their website, you'll understand how that actually works because they're really pushing hard for bringing crypto to the masses and, and educate people on the topic. Unlike other companies that just want to really give love to their customers, Bitpanda is giving love and, and, and spending money on mass adoption, just bringing more people into Bitcoin. With their recently launched educational platform, it's not only free, it's called Bitpanda Academy. It's not only free, but you'll actually learn and you'll earn five euro just for taking quizzes on their site. So it's a great way to force you to learn more about Bitcoin. Check them out. Again, they give me love. So I'm asking for you, my listeners, to give them some love. Over the years, I've learned a lot from crypto winters a lot of the bull and bear markets, and there's a lot of things that I've learned. But one of the most important things that I've learned is that community is one of our strongest assets. It allows us to continue working together and talking to each other during the good times, the bad times, 
and hopefully not the ugly times. Over the past few months, I've been speaking with the Pepo team. These guys have spent years working with members of the crypto community and learning what we want in social sharing apps. And I'm really excited that Pepo is now one of the sponsors for Untold Stories. Even in the few weeks since they launched Pepo at DevCon, not that long ago, I've seen them make so many improvements, like hashtag search based on feedback from people using the app and so many different features that combine the best parts of what we already love, that parts of Instagram, Facebook, Snapchat, but it combines it in a perfect way with such a nice user experience and good security. It combines them so perfectly that it looks like, and it actually was built for the crypto community. You can download the app by going to pepo.com forward slash stories, and you can find me there at Charlie Shrem, the same as my Twitter handle. I never understood that concept of like, you need to put down one in order for the other. But I think it I think to add on to what you said, and and I agree that about what you said on the layer one solutions. Um, and I'm gonna add to that and say, um, one of my guests recently had a great statement. He said, you know, everyone's looking for Bitcoin's killer app, killer app, but I think we figured it out. Bitcoin's killer app is finance. And just like if you have a bagel and you don't have enough butter to spread on that bagel or cream cheese, you're gonna spread yourself too thin, right? You're going to, the bagel's not going to be as good because you don't have enough cream cheese to spread on the bagel. That's like a New York analogy, right? But but that's where spreading yourself too thin came from. And so I think very, very, very early on, it was unspoken, but it was conceptualized that Bitcoin's killer app for me, at least is finance. I'm okay with that. That's what I want it to be. In fact, I was one of those people who were initially, when Vitalik initially wanted to put Ethereum on top of the Bitcoin blockchain years and years and years ago, I was originally one of those people who pushed back because I was saying to myself, I feel like if we start to add more code and things in layer one on top of Bitcoin, you're creating a lot more vectors for attack. And we simply didn't have the developer community back then to build those things out. Bitcoin did and does one or two things phenomenal and that's continue to do that and that's fine like so i love bitcoin but i could also love crypto and what's interesting is that in my tweets now i'm very careful to say bitcoin is bitcoin and then you have crypto is crypto separate things now and that's yeah. and that's fine yeah. so what are some killer apps that you see for i know it's such a stupid question but i think you can have a good answer like what are some killer apps that you see over the next few years on on blockchain not bitcoin but blockchain technology i mean this is what i get really excited about because i kind of look at like you know i call the internet of money and kind of say like you know if you look at over the last you know 20 years you had the development of the internet of information then the internet of people and now you layer on that the internet of money and you know if you think about you could have you know any action and any application any website can transfer value that value can be person to person. It can be person to company, uh, and that just just that in itself, it's like it opens up all sorts of new business models. Um, and I think the challenge that most people have is like we're stuck in this mental model of how the world works today, where if you want to do something, you have to take out your credit card, or you have to tap the uh, the Apple Pay button, and you basically use the credit card that's attached to it. And that dynamic goes away when you basically can say, okay, you know. Every time I do a five-star review, 
give assent to the person who wrote the content. Or uh, if I want, let's say I'm the New York Times or the Washington Post, and if I want to just have someone unlock an article and pay me 10 cents for it, I can just charge them for that one article they want to they watch or want to want to read. They don't have to buy a $10 subscription from me. Um, you know, it, it could be, it doesn't even be like a person to person. It could be, you know, machine to machine. It could be something that, uh, any, anywhere like a, you know, a computer can talk to another computer can be transferring value. And to me, the use cases are just you know, ginormous on there. I mean, it's like, think about this, for instance, like you think about like, just like, I'm going to give you an example of like, we're, we think today like that Starbucks, for instance, has like one of the best experiences of like a, you know, customer kind of CRM and a customer kind of, you know, you download the Starbucks app, you can pre-order before you go into the store, you, pay, you earn some reward points, pay back with Starbucks. Now take that and kind of turn, you know, put that on steroids, enable any company online, offline to have that and to have kind of use, have their, their customers being able to have that kind of experience, but also being able to share that experience with anyone else frictionlessly, um, to be able to spend these currencies or tokens across any number of different, uh, you know, kind of, you know, other kind of, you know, retailers or stores or, you know, companies they interact with. Um, enable what it, imagine what it does for online influencers. And again, you know, today everyone is an influencer. Everyone's a content creator. I mean, think about, you know, whether it's creating content on, on TikTok or on Instagram. Uh, we're all creating so many pieces of content every single day. Enable now, you know, imagine a world where where people could be earning for their creations without having to go through the platforms of the middlemen in order to to earn. Uh, and imagine kind of a whole creative class who kind of grows up not even thinking about you know how do I get distribution? They just think about how do I get you know get the right people to interact with me, um, or how do I you know which platform not to be on? What are platforms? So there's really just be there's technology connecting people. Um, I can go on and on. I think it's really exciting. I think we're at the very beginning of it. I agree with you. Um, I think that we're at like, you know, going back to when we first started talking, we talked about that inflection point. I think we're starting to like be at that point. Um, and, and, and Pe Peppo is like the perfect example. Um, one of the questions I wanted to ask earlier is, are your users, do you have any way of knowing if your users are people that were part of crypto already or are new to the space do you do your, do your team ever interface with these with people or are you bringing new people on i'm i just like to ask these questions to to a lot of my guests because you have insight that we normally don't have and so i'd like to yeah no i appreciate it i mean to be really honest and you know direct about it we we decided purposely to first talk to people who were kind of crypto natives and we thought they'd be the but, you know, people who have been in the space and are really yearning to connect with each other uh, and who also really would want to see a successful use case. Uh, and then we said, let's build out from there. So we said, rather than building for, say, the, you know, the crypto adopters, let's build for the crypto natives. Um, and then as they become more and more crypto natives, they'll just kind of, you know, they'll come to come for the use case, not for the crypto. Uh, and, you know, we do find that, you know, for instance, over the holidays, we had um, a number of users on Pepo who created a and how to explain crypto to newbies kind of videos on Pepo, and that was a fun thing that everyone did. And uh, you know, so it was great to see. You know, people are trying to they're trying to work out for themselves how they use these new technologies to also explain to other people the benefits of them. Um, we had you know we have users who joined the platform who also are not you know crypto natives you know that that you know they've they heard about it through their friends who said hey you got to try this 
And what's cool about that is it's it's not about the crypto for them. It's more about this app enables you to express yourself in a professional business fashion to meet other people who share your interest or are in the same you know say profession as you are, the same category of interest you're in. And by the way, you can also earn some money. Um, so you know, it's gonna be, it's gonna be, you know the three C's of social networking. You know, you come for the community, you stay for the clout, and you really like it when you get cash. We're actually enabling people to get all three C's. That's that's unbelievable. Where did you where did you figure all this out? What is your background? I know, like, because you you didn't just jump into the into the space here and be an expert on a lot of the things that we're talking about here. You you founded uh, three very big companies. One I actually knew about when I was when I was doing the research about you. I I know I I knew about Fab.com before um, I got into crypto. So um, where did you kind of get started, um, and how did you yeah. become an expert in in all things user experience? I mean, you know, look, I, I wouldn't call myself an expert. I'd say that I'm a, a passionate uh, product designer who's been, you know, working on solving interesting problems and creating, you know, kind of products that people want to use, you know, for 20 plus years. The first product that I worked on was uh, AOL chat rooms. Then I helped launch uh, T-Mobile Hotspot, the first nationwide Wi-Fi service in the U.S. back in the early 2000s. Uh, I... Uh, started a couple of Web 2.0 companies, a company called Jobster in the online recruitment space, a company called Social Median, which was a huge, actually, like a, a success that, that only people who were on social media know about it. But in 2008, we created the first way for basically for people to find out what, to, what news to read every day based on what their social kind of network was reading back in the early days of social networking. And we grew to about 6 million users in just a few months and sold the company very quickly. Wow. Um, and... I mean, it was basically growing at the same, and that's, that was back before the, you know, before the app store. So like you'd have websites that would get massive you know, really quick if they had a big idea. Um, and yeah, and you know, that's when I started Fab, which was, you know, one of the first kind of pioneers in social commerce. Um, you know, Fab was one of the fastest growing, you know, e-commerce websites ever in its heyday. Uh, unfortunately, we couldn't sustain the growth and Amazon crushed us. And so there's a lot of lessons learned there. Um, and yeah, I, I wish Fab had turned out better because it was an awesome product. It was just, you know, we got Amazon really hard. <laughs> I mean, Great like, domain, too. You, you could probably sell that domain for like a quarter million dollars, too. Yeah, well, yeah, so, so we sold Fab um, and you know, the, the brand lives on. I think it's mm. like a health and wellness now, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the e-commerce site. Uh, and yeah, and then I had a company called Hem.com. I like three-letter domain names. Pepo is four letters. Yeah, uh, Hem for... Uh, design furniture uh, that we had private label design furniture and Hem's done awesome. We sold Hem to Vitra, uh, and then it's uh, it was a Swiss German kind of furniture maker. If I buy some stuff from Hem, do you know people there? Absolutely, yeah. yeah. And uh, you know, okay. if you if you walk in any WeWork, um, that's why I I I know exactly the type of like basically really really nice furniture and 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 things that are just not doesn't because we have Airbnbs and we we like nice stuff, but we don't want to pay, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, really nice. Yeah, so like, is really cool. our, like it's Swedish design, you know, it's a yeah. designers. My, one of my close friends, Petrus is still running it and they're doing a great job. Um, and yeah, it's like, look, so I tell you, the biggest thing that's changed for me over the years when it comes to designing products is back in 2008, when I was doing social media, you know, because you, you know, there wasn't much competition back then. If you had a, like a good sense for the market and it's a good idea, 
And if you, you know, you could you could build a product and then get lots of users really fast. Today, the, the the market is so hyper competitive, and you know, there's you know millions and millions of apps out there, and you know, it, it's just so much harder to stand out. That the only way that I believe that you, know, that you can build great products is to talk to people, to be humble about it, to try to figure out not what features people want, but what is the problem that they're trying to solve or what is the job they're trying to get done. And then how do you build something that helps them get that done you know, faster, easier, more convenient? Uh, you know, for, for Pepo, for instance, we didn't just say, okay, we're really smart people. Let's build a crypto app. You know, we went and talked to over a thousand people. We held interviews all last year trying to find where were the gaps in the marketplace that we found that people needed something they weren't getting in social at the time. And what we found was, especially in professional sides, so let's say competing with say LinkedIn and a little bit of Twitter, we found that a lot of people found that LinkedIn was full of spam, was uh, a whole lot of noise, that it wasn't feeling very authentic. And we saw a need for an authentic way to connect people. And short form video is a great way to do so. And layering cryptocurrency on it just adds to the equation. Well, not only are you like disrupting crypto, but you're also disrupting. See, that's the thing. You've really taken like a huge bite out of like disruption because you've decided to like di like disrupt three different industries at the same time. Well, Did you re you realize that, right? It's it's hard, but like, like <laughs> it's like you know you're doing a great job. Thanks. I mean, look, it's I, I, it's fun problems to solve. They're hard problems to solve, and I think it always to me it comes back to is like crypto is not. You know, it's not the uh, the product. Crypto is a is a, a part of the solution. Um, and if we can show that you can create a better product because crypto is a component of it, that's something that a lot of people are going to want to lean into. A lot of people talk about um, and draw parallels still till today. You know, our like bubble and bull and bear cycles with with Bitcoin and crypto and the price relating to like the dot com era. I don't really like that analogy, but fine, whatever. Um, my question to you, I don't think you've been, you were around like working in the dot-com bubble. I think you're too young oh, for that. But no, I was. I was at AOL in 1998. Oh. And I lived through the dot-com bubble for sure. Can can you draw parallels to me? Not price related, like not pets.com stock price, but more, and no one ever does this and it kind of pisses me off, but there are lessons to be learned, right? Can you draw some parallels of like, what was... What was the the UX like? What were user experiences like with the first or second wave of dot com companies? Were they as good? And who were who were the crypto natives that the projects were being built for? Or who were the the internet natives? Like who were those people? Yeah, you know, the one thing that it reminds me of right away when you when you said this is, you know, Mark Andreessen from Andreessen Horowitz, one of the, you know the best VCs and also great entrepreneurs of our time. Uh, you know, he said in uh, around 20, I think it was 2009, 2010, you know, someone asked him, you know, what companies, what does he want to invest in? What are, what are the companies that he wants to see built? And he said, I want to see everything that was tried in the dot-com bubble because now the technology is better, the UX is better, the markets are ready. And all these use cases, you know, not that every one of them is going to work, but all these use cases that were, were decent use cases that had good business you know, ideas behind them can now be made possible. Um, and I think there's a lot of parallels. I think it, it, it's that, you know, people had a lot of great ideas in the early days of Bitcoin, a lot of great ideas in the early days of blockchain and cryptocurrency, but you just didn't have the tooling and infrastructure ready to make them possible. The UX wasn't there. I mean, even today, we're just now starting to get to really good UX and crypto, but there's only a couple examples of us out there that are really kind of doing that. Other, you know, most, most projects are still suffering on the UX front. And that's, 
one of the reasons why, you know, part of my mission this year is I'm going to 10 different uh, crypto conferences and doing workshops on UX and giving out UX awards. People say, why don't you have people build on your technology? And I say, because we'll further the industry more by just getting people to build great UX and to implement better user experiences. Teach all these devs out there, they're building dev tools, but they need to also focus on the users. Um, and I think if you know, we get these two things going, we get the, you know, the, the dev tools that have been built over the last few years have more maturity um, over the next couple of years. The UX becomes a focus over the next couple of years. That the markets are now itching for use cases. And then we get a couple of use cases, that's going to snowball going to happen. Like use cases will be get use cases will be get mass adoption. And, you know, and so if, if you look back at the dot-com you know, era, um, you know, the late 90s, early 2000s, lots of good ideas. Technology wasn't fast enough. Wasn't you know there wasn't broadband in every home. There was no mobile phones at the time. You had you know clumsy web pages, and you know you didn't have the cloud back then. So you people were using you know kind of you know, Oracle database, whatever it was, and and you needed this kind of maturity of the whole you know solution stack um, in order to create the great you know online experiences that we're all accustomed to today. And the same things we're going to go through the same kind of cycle with crypto. And it's just part of the, the pain of, of, you know, of technology adoption. Now, people say, well, is it inevitable? I think the reason why, you know, I'm a believer that is inevitable is because, you know, it, it's just a, you know, it, it, it's humans, you know, if you need money to transact, that it shouldn't be that money always has to go through third parties in order to transact. There shouldn't always be, you know, rent takers on, you know, on every transaction. On some, yes, if they provide value add. But as a society, as you know, we we we've relied on these these third parties and middlemen more than needed when you have such things as you know online technology. And now we get to create the Internet of Money, and I think it, it will happen for sure. So well said, and and I would normally end on that note, but I do have uh, a, one or two last questions. Um, they it was said, you know, as, as the months went by with with you know the whole token ICO bubble, that as the months went by. The, um, the lessons that were starting to be learned, um, we have to start documenting. And it was said a, lo a lot by me that if out of every 500 failed projects, we got one good one, that gem is what's going to move our industry forward. Um, do you see Pepo as one of those gems? And and if yes, how have you been able to learn the lessons coming out of that that year, how were you able to learn the lessons before the lessons were made? Like, how did you make good decisions when most other people weren't able to make those good decisions about running your business and creating a five-year plan? Yeah, I mean, this is, this is a really, a really good question, Charlie, and it's it's a very important question. You know, in 2016, we started developing kind of the, the ideas on what we wanted to build here and kind of what it would take to build it. I remember telling you know, my friend Howard Morgan, who's also a very you know, legendary investor, first round capital, I said, this is going to be a five to 10 year build, not even kind of like release, but like a build. Like this is like, it's going to take time to put all this, this together. And, you know, I'd say one of the things that I'm very proud of, of our team and what we did was we went and spoke to really good lawyers and we listened to them. Um, you know, we worked with a team from Perkins Coie who said, okay, if you really think that you need to have a, if you want to do a token sale to help, you know, for this project, make sure you launch your protocol before you do so. Um, make sure the protocol is functioning. Make sure it's in use, that you have products that are launched on it before you, you do so. And we were one of, like, you know, the, like, the only project I know that did that back in 2017. Um, and 
Today, you know, our technology, the OSC technology, um, I'm pretty confident that we are the only company that can say this, that we are the only project that has more end users of the protocol than there are holders of the OSC token. And it's because we play by the rules and we build stuff. And, you know, look, have we done everything right? Probably not. Have we tried to? Absolutely. And we've tried to be very up and front and honest about it, um, very open about it. And we focused on delivering and building technology that people need. And we're hopeful that, you know, that's going to get us to a good place. As they say, or it depends who you ask, you can, they'll either say from your mouth to God's ears, or they'll say from your mouth to the ears of the Magic Sky people. Yeah, but we'll see. Yeah, I think we'll see. the point, the point is, is well said and well made. Um, mm -hmm. So far, you guys have been able to do uh, what you say you're going to do. And it's one of the reasons that I'm proud that you're um, supporting me in in my vision of of documenting this this industry and and you know the space in the past ten years. So so firstly, thank you truly from the bottom of my heart for for helping me make this dream possible. Um, Wayne says thank you for paying his salary. He's in the other room here, and and thank you for coming on the show. It's such a wonderful episode. I'm 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 loving it. Thank you, Charlie. Really appreciate it. And you know, just how can people follow? I'm sorry. How can people follow the show? Uh, what you guys are doing? How can people follow you? How can people yeah. download the app? I mean, I'd say, look, you know, if, if you really understand what we're doing, uh, first and foremost, OST is te as a technology company. Uh, we have developer tools that any developer can use to very simply add crypto tokens into their applications without having to write any blockchain code. So go to devdev.ost.com. It's a developer tools, that, you know, dev.ost.com. And play around with our tools because that's what we first and foremost drives, you know, what, what we do. And then the second is um, if you're not a developer or if you're a developer also, but if you just want to play with some of the product, download Pepo, P-E-P-O, from the app stores. It's the first crypto-powered app that's been approved by Apple and uh, Google with cash-in and cash-out options uh, with crypto embedded into the app. Um, it's available on iOS and Android. Try it. Give us feedback. Talk to us. I love it. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. All right. Thanks, Charlie. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening. New episodes of Untold Stories are released every Tuesday and Thursday at 7 a.m. EST on untoldstories.com, Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast. Untold Stories is produced by Jason Yanowitz, Michael E. Polito, Reed Hannaford, and Riley Silbert of Blockworks Group. Our account executives are Gina DeFelice and Julie Muroff. Our content is written by Kathy Zolo, Ronnie Tishner, and Scott Offer. Special thanks to Wayne Dallaire from Jump Dog Audio Productions. And of course, I'm your host, Charlie Shrem. You can follow me on Twitter, at Charlie Shrem, to continue the conversation. Send me some messages, feedback, or anything you want to say. And remember... Please give some love to my sponsors, and I'll see you next week. Remember, strength in numbers and information is power.